Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today from the Grave Tales Sydney Volume 1 book, The Eternity Man, Arthur Stace. Eternity, prepare. As 1999 rolled into 2000, the millennial celebrations on New Year's Eve in Sydney featured a smiley face visible on the Harbour Bridge during the light and fireworks show. At the finale, the face faded, replaced by the word eternity and blazoned on the bridge. It was a tribute to a man many of us may not have heard of, a down and outer who found redemption and shared his message equipped only with a piece of chalk. Who was he and why did he spend his life sharing his one word message, eternity? Well, his name was Arthur Stace, that's who he was, but I've found that not many people have ever heard of that name or or recognise it. He was also known as Mr Eternity. As a child, Arthur grew up in abject poverty in the Sydney suburb of Redfern. He was beaten by both his parents. Both his parents were alcoholics. Every penny they could get their hands on went on grog, so much so that Arthur didn't live in the house that they occupied. Rather, he lived underneath it and survived by stealing the bread and the milk of neighbours when it was delivered in the early hours of the morning. So he's only a little boy, though, when this is going on, a young kid living under the house because it was safer. Yeah, he had two brothers and two sisters, and presumably they all lived the same way, uh, courtesy of their alcoholic parents. By the time he was 12, by his own admission, he virtually had no schooling at all, uh, rarely went to school. He was a ward of the state. He was placed under the protection of a legal guardian. Before that, he'd worked in a coal mine for two years, he said, uh, at that age. It's Um, so Victorian, isn't it, almost? What year are we talking here? He was born in 1885, so Mm. we're talking before the turn of the 1900s. He was also jailed for drunkenness. No wonder, I suppose, with his parents, Mm. uh, both alcoholics. Um, He had, as I said, two brothers, two sisters. He claimed that both his sisters ended up as prostitutes in Sydney, uh, working in the Redfern area. Both his brothers, he said, died as hopeless, derelict drunks. As a teenager, he acted as a cockatoo. Uh, That is someone who's a a lookout, watching out for the police coming. Uh, A cockatoo for his sister's brothels. Uh, What a way to grow up. What a tragic life for all of them. He also worked as a grog runner, someone who went and got the alcohol for uh, the illegal gambling casinos that Mm. were in the area. All this so that he could make enough money just to live on. Mm. It was a vicious cycle. Early in 1916, by the time that he had got to uh, the age of early 20s, World War I was raging across Europe. And the worst battle of all was about to begin in February of 1916, uh, Verdun. And maybe it was the reporting of that uh, particular battle. Maybe it was just that he wanted to try and get a better life Mm. that inspired him to sign up. In a way, this was an opportunity. At least now he'd have a pay, he'd have a meal, he'd have comradeship. You know, it's maybe to some degree the war would suit him better. Yep, perhaps. Curiously, he put his age back. He was 32 in March of 1916, uh, yet his enlistment papers show his age is 26. So Mm. he was uh, Private Arthur Stace, service number 5934, place of birth Sydney, place of enlistment Sydney, next of kin, sister Minnie Harmon, who lived in Piermont. Great show name, Minnie Harmon. Minnie Harmon. He ended up as part of the 16th reinforcement of the 19th Battalion and he arrived in France just after Christmas of 1916. 
He only lasted three months. Oh, what happened to he was a, He was a stretcher bearer. By April of 1917, he was in a casualty clearing station suffering from bronchitis mm. and spent the rest of his war, such as it was, working in AOF depots in England. He was sent home, discharged in May of 1919, and within a few days, of course, it was the same old story. Oh, Drunk, broke, and out of work. What a shame, because it may have just given him some structure to his life if he could have had a, a decent war, if there's such a thing. Yes, well, of course, when he got back and was demobbed, it was the same scenario that he was going back into that he had left. After the war, he was supported to a limited extent by a repatriation pension for what they called in those days shell shock, mm. uh, which we'd probably now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And life was pretty ordinary for Arthur. He was well in the grip of the grog, often unemployed, and because of the way he lived, he was in poor health. And we know he had no skill. Sure, he was a you know, cockatoo and a runner and a whatever, but at yeah. the end of the day, he didn't have a trade. The best he could do was anything sort of of a physical or manual labour, and he's clearly not well. Yeah, the only things that he could do were linked to, to criminal activities, yeah. which made it hard for him. Mm. He lived like that pretty much for a decade, until in 1930, his life changed. What happened? Well, we need to go back one step in 1899 to a fellow by the name of Robert Hammond. Now, Robert Hammond, he was a Victorian Anglican minister and he moved to Sydney after earning a reputation, I suppose is the word, as a practitioner of what they called in those days muscular Christianity. In other words, Christians weren't all weak and meek. They were strong people who got on with things. And he was one of them. Robert Hammond, he was willing to step into the shoes of the average working man. He was down in the Gippsland area in Victoria and he worked in the mines for three months alongside the people with whom uh, he went to church on Sunday. Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Um, He was a great Aussie rules footballer, played in the Essendon Premiership side of 1897. See, that would give him some real street cred, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, he was also a keen boxer, and they reckoned that he had the best right fist (laughs) <laughs> for a priest in town. <laughs> and in town yeah. wow see that's got to really make people relate to you you know when you're prepared to get your hands dirty when you're into your sport that's fantastic he moved uh, to Sydney as I mentioned there and he became known as a mender of broken men mm. and he established some homes for destitute blokes fellows who lived on the street called Hammond Hotels mm. the first of these being an old warehouse in Newtown and by the worst year of the depression 1933 there were eight these Hammond hotels that every night accommodated more than 350 homeless men. I guess this is post-war. There's men who have come back that are not coping or have lost their families while they've been at war, have lost limbs, have lost careers and ambition. Yeah, and found life very hard to fit back into. It was in 1930 that Arthur Stace encountered Robert Hammond himself. He heard him speak by now the preacher. was in charge of St Barnabas Church in Broadway in Sydney where he'd established the Brotherhood of Christian Men. And on Wednesday nights, they would meet more than 200, sometimes 300. And amongst them one night was Arthur Stace. That night, Arthur gave up the grog forever. Wow, really? Um, yep. Must have been inspired. He was. He embraced Christianity, was the way he put it. From then on, spent most of his time helping the down-and-out men around Sydney, leading open-air meetings, visiting patients at Callan Park Mental Hospital. Wow. Of the St Barnabas uh, church experience, he said, I went in for a rock cake <laughs> and I came out with the rock of ages, wow. was the way Arthur put it. How inspirational. But there was more to come in Arthur's story, in his transformation, if you like. Two years later, 
in November of 1932, he was inspired by the words of a visiting Baptist evangelist, John Ridley, when he spoke on the theme of eternity. Um, Ridley nearly lost his own life as a young soldier in uh, World War I at the Battle of Polygon Wood in Belgium. He was awarded a military cross for his act of bravery during that war. So obviously he was one of the muscular Christians as well. That's an interesting term, isn't it? It makes you think, well, where are they now? <laughs> Seriously, why aren't they out there now? You know, why aren't they supporting men now? Perhaps they are in their own way, but gee, it's really a very different time, isn't it? Perhaps it's not as public because it's not as desperate, if you, if you know what I necessary. mean, because of the number of people. Yeah. yeah. Although I imagine there would be almost that number of people on the streets of Sydney any night now, mm. as there were then. These Hammond hotels, what a fantastic idea. So hostels, for one of another word. Yeah, he eventually opened up a, a suburb called Hammondville. Mm. Uh, where Arthur Stace ended up, but I'll get to mm. that in a minute. So this fellow, with his eternity, fire, brimstone, passionate speeches, inspired Arthur? It did, and Arthur said, after he heard Ridley speaking, Eternity, eternity, I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? So that was what Arthur came away from Ridley's uh, talk with. What a powerful question. Where will you spend eternity? Hopefully not down below. Well, Arthur, in fact, was so inspired by uh, Ridley that he decided that he would spend the rest of his life writing the word eternity wherever he could find a place to write it. That very night that he heard Ridley speaking, he happened to have a piece of chalk in his pocket for some reason or another. And as he left the church, he wrote the word eternity on the footpath. Now, Arthur didn't get past 12 years old at school, so he had virtually... Primary school only. Yeah, virtually no education. He was almost illiterate. He could hardly write his own name, and yet the word eternity came out in this perfect copper plate writing mm. on the footpath every mm. time he did it. Meant to be. And there's a photo of it in our book, or we can look it up online, and it really is beautifully written, isn't it? It sure is. He said he couldn't understand it, and he never really could understand how that happened. He didn't know. For the best part of 35 years, um, the word eternity was to appear on footpaths, mm. uh, near bus stops, outside railway stations, anywhere people gathered or would pass by. As workers arrived for their day's toil in Sydney City, there it would be, the word eternity, but no sign of who put it there because he'd be up and at it before people were around. And that was your challenge for the day while you went to your desk job, think about your life, what you were doing in your contribution to the world because <laughs> you had to face eternity. Exactly. So because no one quite knew who did this, the person who did it was nicknamed Mr Eternity, ah. hence Arthur's nickname. He got a partner in what he was doing when 12 years after his transformation he married Ellen Esther Dawson, who went by the name of Pearl. Good on you, Pearl. At St Barnabas's, where he first met the Reverend Hammond. From that time on, they set themselves up in a little house in Piermont. He would wake up before the city did and walk to wherever he decided he would spend his day writing the word eternity. He did that for 12 years before Pearl passed away, mm. uh, but he continued on his work. Over the years, he reckons he wrote eternity about half a million times. Wow. But what a redemption story. Here's a young boy who's grown up with no hope, no education, lived under the house to avoid the cruel bashings from his parents, and he's now got a nice wife, nice home. He's giving a message to others about thinking about your life, and he's clean of alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. He learned a few things while he was writing the word eternity. He had his favourite spots. 
he used to like the black footpaths up around King's Cross. The yellow chalk that he used really looked good there. there. You see. Uh, he didn't like the concrete pavements that he reckoned couldn't take it. <laughs> they can't take it. Did he ever try any other words or was it always eternity? He did. And I suppose after you've written eternity so many times, you might want to have a go at something different. So he started out, variation one was obey God. Mm, yeah, much more direct. Then the second one was God or sin. Mm. But preachy, aren't they? Yeah, but it just wasn't the same. No. Uh, and anyway, he just couldn't bring himself to stop writing eternity. After all, as he said, eternity makes him think. Sure does. <laughs> <laughs> when he was doing this, he uh, did have the occasional run-in with the law, or in this case, the Sydney City Council, which reported him to the police more than 20 times. I was in chalk, though, at least. It's not like he was well, doing it in paint. But the council had its rules oh, about defacing pavements. Okay. Uh, but each time the police nabbed him, uh, he claimed, in inverted commas, permission from a higher source. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. And he was never arrested. So Arthur's now a widow and he's still keeping up his good work. Did he stay living in his little house by himself or what became of him? After Pearl died, which was in 1961, he moved to Hammondville. And I mentioned the place, the town, the village, the suburb, whatever you like to call it, that Robert Hammond, the preacher, set up the bloke who got him off the grog and on the road to eternity. And it was there that Arthur died in 1967, some six years after uh, Pearl died. He had a stroke. Oh, right. Oh, that was quick, I imagine. I hope so. The city remembered Arthur for many, many years after that. I still run into people around the places that I talk where you say, anybody remember seeing the word eternity written on the footpath in Sydney? And people do. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen it? I'd love to have seen it. It would be fantastic. (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody saw it uh, as you started out this story with on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Tell Uh, us about that. So what was that about? Well, they decided that when they brought in the big celebrations for the new millennium, 2000, that they would pick some features that had happened in Sydney throughout the last thousand years if you like not that there was that much of it but eternity was the one thing that they decided was a key thing in the history of the growing up of the place and so there it featured on the Sydney Harbour Bridge it looked terrific and there's a great photo in the book or again just look it up online because the way they've written it is exactly how Arthur wrote it and it just looks so beautiful and blazed in lights well, that was good to see that. There are actually two original examples of Arthur's handiwork that oh, have survived. Only One, two? Only two. One lives in the National Museum of Australia. Mm. When he was cleaning the Burton Street Baptist tabernacle for a job, a lady there by the name of Thelma Dodds asked if he would write eternity for her on a piece of cardboard, mm. which she did. It somehow ended up in the hands of Reverend Stan Levitt, who was the minister at at the church at the time. He retired to Woi Woi. As you do. As you would. <laughs> and he had it hanging on his back door for many, many years wow. until the year 2000. And then it ended up going to the National Museum of Australia. How wonderful. The second example of it is almost as mysterious as Arthur himself. It was found inside the bell of the Sydney Post Office clock tower. Now, apparently during World War II, for, I guess, reasons of preservation, the bell was taken out of the clock tower in case the place got bombed and it got destroyed. It was securely wrapped, uh, sealed while this was going on. And when the workmen were putting it back up again at the end of the war, they noticed on the inside the word eternity. Uh, written wow. Arthur's I wonder when he had a chance to do well, that. Well, no one knows how Arthur got it there. It's just a mystery. But there is one other place where you can still see it, and that's on the end of the grave of Arthur and Poole in the eastern suburbs Memorial Park, but mm. it stands out. Mm. And in the book, there are 
instructions on how to find their grave. Yeah, it's a nice, uh, neat little grave. It is, yeah. and there it is. It's almost like a little marble stone at the yeah. end of the grave where the original copper plate word eternity yeah. is written. It's quite it lovely. Is. It is. The other thing, I guess, worth mentioning is if you're walking through Central Station in Sydney and you happen to see Eternity Bar and Grill, you'll now know where it came from. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I often wonder, though, Arthur having been so moved by Hammond and then Ridley, how many other people have been moved by the word Eternity that Arthur wrote on the footpaths. If you enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute and give us a good rating. You have been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available on paperback, ebook, and select titles on audio. Music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well, or put together your own group and come along on our Great Ocean Road tour. Thanks for listening.